is Cultured Hollywood for Smart People for Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. I'm Nico. I'm your host. We're talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. Coming to you live on tape from suburban Connecticut in my quaint little office. Just to peel back the curtain, I'm doing the show where I normally record it, in studio, at my desk, where the magic happens, but uh, I, I'm, I'm in my office chair, sort of reclining in a precarious position, with my feet elevated on the chair across the desk from me, because, uh, well, I did a stupid thing yesterday. <laughs> So it was a beautiful day here in Connecticut for those of you that weren't local. 70 degrees yesterday, the first 70 degree degree day of the year. Uh spring is coming early. Apparently the groundhog was onto something. Beautiful day, hanging out outside with the bro, shooting hoops, and we decided to play a little one-on-one. Actually, we were going to play two on two, but the uh our, <laughs> Our fellow competitors were not as enthusiastic as Andre and I were. So we're basically playing one-on-one, and I'm not kidding you, the first play of the game, people. The first play of the game, I have the ball, I decide to attack the rim, because you know me, I'm a physical player. (laughs) Not like these new school finesse three-point shooters. You know, we play bully ball in these parts. And I'm also quite proud of my mid-range game, you know? I just have a deadly mid-range jump shot. I'm the Dirk Nowitzki of of podcasting, people. That's what it really comes down to. (laughs) Just deadly from five feet out. So uh, I I decide to try a little turnaround jump shot. And Andre's right in my face and he goes up for the block. And doesn't make contact with me. Just goes up for the block. And I do a little fade away. And I uh, attempt the shot. The shot did not go in. But that's neither here nor there. Maybe it did. I don't think anyone was watching the ball when this happened. I think they were just watching me. As I fell awkwardly on the way down. And landed directly on my buttocks. Directly on my buttocks. And I mean... It was as if I was doing a cannonball into a pool, except the pool was not made of water. It was made of pavement. That's what it was yesterday. Straight down the first part of my body that made contact with the ground. The only part of my body that made contact with the ground was my ass. Boom. Right into the pavement. And immediately I get pain in my back. My lower back starts throbbing. And I am seething in pain. This is a pain that I don't think I've ever experienced before. And I've, and I've undergone a few little minor injuries here and there. Rolled my ankle when I was in Arizona. That was horrendous pain. But this was just instantaneous, like a ton of bricks hit my backside. And I'm thinking, oh shit, I might have broke something. Maybe I broke something. Maybe I did spinal cord damage. I, I, whatever it was, my tailbone got hit in a weird way. And uh, I, I just started flop sweating. I, I broke into that cold sweat. And it hurt really, really bad. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've been icing it for like the last 24 hours and I said, all right, I just have to go to the doctor because now every time I get up, I'm in pain. Like my body can't support 
uh, or my back can't support the rest of my body. I know this sounds way more dramatic than it actually is. And by the way, it is way more dramatic (laughs) than it actually is. (laughs) But all I know is I took a bath yesterday. I took an Epsom, what is it? Epsom salt? Epsom salt? You know, I took one of those like natural soaks that, uh, that hippies like, you know, the Epsom salt. I put a little salt in the bath and I, and I went for a soak and then I got up to dry off and my whole body was trembling that I had to lay down on the cold bathroom floor and just air dry because I couldn't stay standing or even sitting up for an extended period of time. Point is, it was really bad, really painful. Didn't enjoy myself yesterday. Um, and then I got up this morning and I said, all right, I guess I should probably call the doctor. It feels a little better. I'm sure it's nothing. I took a couple Advils and, uh, I I was good to go, but still I should get this checked out. Went to the doctor. Turns out, yep, just pulled a muscle. That was it. Just pulled a muscle. No x-rays necessary. No spinal cord damage. Nothing. Nico got another boo boo. <laughs> anyway, I almost did this podcast from my bed today. I came very close to doing that this morning. Had I recorded this this morning, I'm doing it in the late afternoon. But had I done it this morning, I would have done it from bed because I, I was unable to get up this morning. It, it would have been like that uh, that that SCTV sketch. Rivers Cuomo? No, not Rivers Cuomo. That's the <laughs> Rivers Cuomo was the front man of Weezer. Perry Cuomo, right? <laughs> Perry Cuomo is still alive. The infomercial. Y'all ever seen this sketch? Oh man, I should just pull this up. No one knows SCTV. Second City Television. It was like the SNL ripoff. Or not really a ripoff. Was it a ripoff? I think SNL came first, but SCTV, Eugene Levy, John Candy, a bunch of great comedic actors that you recognize um, were on that show. And Perry Cuomo is still alive is one of my favorite sketches in the history of comedy. It's so good. Eugene Levy um, plays Perry Cuomo and they're doing like an infomercial for his greatest hits album. Here it is. Y'all Google this. SCTV Perry Cuomo still alive if you can find it. In a dazzling new show, Perry Cuomo still alive. I'm gonna live so just to paint the picture, Eugene Levy in a purple sweater is sitting on a chair and he's surrounded by background dancers and background singers and is just slouched over on the chair. Now he's on a couch <laughs> with a mic propped up on a on a mic stand. He's just basically a vegetable singing his greatest hits. Some people call him Mr. Relaxation. I thought tonight's show was a little up-tempo, but he's still my favorite entertainer. Last time I saw him was 14 years ago in the Holy Land. 
Now he's propped up. Laying on top of another background singer. Yeah, this is more of a visual sketch. But just Perry Guomo, basically a, a paraplegic. <laughs> Because he's so old and washed up. Oh, here's John Candy. I love Perry Como. He's the greatest. He really is. Mr. Relaxation. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> Mr. Relaxation. <laughs> that was going to be me this morning, podcasting from my bed. One of these days, maybe once I get the coronavirus and I'm in isolation, I'll just lay down in my bed, microphone in hand. Like Perry Cuomo. The Mr. Relaxation of podcasting. What am I talking about? Anyway, speaking of the coronavirus, let's just get into it. It's our big story today here on Cultured because it's the big story everywhere, right? Everyone seems to be talking about the coronavirus. And I've got to be honest with you people. I have no idea what to believe anymore. There is so much information out there and much of that information seems to contradict itself. So who am I supposed to believe? The network that has hit the doomsday button, sounding the alarm, red text, all in capital letters on the lower third, or am I supposed to believe the network that's like, ah, relax, we got this under control, the media is overhyping it for ratings, who am I supposed to believe? Am I supposed to believe our politicians, our government, our president? Am I supposed to believe those in our government that are bracing for the apocalypse, stocking up on uh, on hand sanitizer? Dude, what the hell? I'm so confused. I'm so lost. And I've asked like certain people in my life, perhaps I should have actually asked my doctor today because <laughs> she is a medical professional and that is the opinion that you seek out, right? When something like this happens. I shouldn't have asked my idiot buddy that works at IT for a hospital. (laughs) I do have some nurse friends. Maybe I'll ask them. But no, my idiot friend who, again, works in information technology is not like, uh, does not have a medical degree. Or maybe he does. I don't know. Whatever he has. He was put on the coronavirus task force at his organization. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what they expect him to do. I'm not sure if he is tasked with finding a cure or uh, uh, shooting uh, victims like <laughs> before they get on the premises. I don't know. What is his job? How is the guy in IT supposed to halt the spread of the coronavirus? I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't really want to talk that much about the coronavirus um, other than the entertainment side of this. I I want to talk about how the industry has suffered thus far from the panic because, again, I I can't give you any sort of medical advice other than the stuff that I've read, which is wash your hands, don't touch your face, and spend $150 on a container of hand sanitizer. Bro, I came so close to just swiping that that hand sanitizer from my doctor's office today. Just sneaking it in the pants, selling it on the black market. They got so much of it over there. You can't find it anywhere, right? Walmart, Target, supermarket. But I heard the hand sanitizer is the same as just buying vodka. 
right? If you just buy vodka and wash your hands with it, which sounds gross, but if you do that, it's just as good as hand sanitizer, if not better. It's just pure alcohol in the hand sanitizer. Whatever. Um, but I, Okay, I want to talk about the Hollywood side of this because a number of events have been delayed or canceled as a result of the Corona scare, and we'll talk about a few of them now. South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. This is the big one. The annual music and film festival called off this week as a result of Corona. Same with the release of No Time to Die, the James Bond film. MGM decides to push it to November. It was slated to come out in April. Big tentpole release. Also a massive international franchise. When we talk about the box office, we're not so much talking about the domestic box office because as far as we can tell, the United States box office hasn't been hurt too much thus far as a result of this. Um, Obviously, it's February, March. It's a dead zone for movies anyway. The Invisible Man is not as much a a movie-going tentpole as Black Widow, which is slated to come out in May. But it is still significant what's happening in movie theaters. No Time to Die would probably take a little bit of a hit domestically, but they're really worried about China and Japan and the other massive film markets internationally. James Bond travels very well overseas. Same with Fast and Furious, which is slated to come out in a few months. It remains to be seen if Fast 9 gets pushed as a result of Corona scares. Um, But as moviegoing has declined in recent years, film studios have been much more reliant on international markets. And considering China is the epicenter of the corona epidemic, it is no surprise that MGM showed some caution with no time to die. So that is getting pushed just today. It was announced Peter Rabbit 2, which is a children's movie starring James Corden about Peter Rabbit, the Easter Bunny. I was not aware that Peter Rabbit 1 existed. Apparently it was a thing. Now Peter Rabbit 2 is a thing. Um, Kind of unfortunate, but it will be pushed now five months in the hopes of retaining some of its box office returns. Peter Rabbit 2. (laughs) Unfortunately, you and the whole family won't be able to see it this Easter weekend. Uh, You're going to have to stay home and actually talk to your family for a change. The Upfronts, the television network Upfronts, which are an annual event. TV networks like NBC, CBS, ABC present their upcoming lineups to sponsors, potential sponsors and advertisers in hopes of generating ad revenue. The Upfronts for most television networks, including A&E, NBC, I believe NBC announced this. I'm not 100% sure. Most of the Upfronts, though, have been canceled or at least moved to digital platforms out of concern for Corona. And uh, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy will now be filming their upcoming episodes without a studio audience. Um, the, The biggest concern here is the health of Alex Trebek, who has been undergoing chemotherapy for stage four pancreatic cancer. Incidentally, he has survived a whole year. Good for Alex Trebek. Was very happy to see that video on Twitter this week. But obviously, uh, someone like Alex would be at um, at the top of the list of people most susceptible to uh, dying from the coronavirus. So 
They're going to keep filming episodes, but they're going to do it without an audience. And this may be a trend we see not only in the entertainment world, but in the sports world as well. Uh, The MLB, I don't think the NFL announced this, but the MLB, NBA, NHL, and MLS all announced in a joint statement today that no reporters will be allowed in team locker rooms for the foreseeable future. The NCAA March Madness tournament is now at risk, and many speculate that the tournament will go on without a crowd, which would be very unusual, something that I do not recall ever happening in American sports. Perhaps this has happened before, but this whole story seems to be unprecedented, and we're wading into uncharted territory with every decision that is made. Um, Coachella, I got to imagine, is going to get canceled. Within the next week, Coachella is rapidly approaching, and a bunch of uh, drunk, stoned idiots in the middle of the desert uh, having sex with one another in the midst of (laughs) a massive outbreak is not a very smart idea. So who knows? Who knows, man? I I will just say this. I can only comment on the entertainment side of things because I don't know how the United States has reacted to this. I don't know if we have not done enough or done too much. I I am afraid that we are about to go the way of Italy, which has quarantined the entire nation. Everyone is just staying inside empty streets all throughout the country. No one let in. No one let out. Uh, I, I am afraid, of course, that a similar fate can befall our country. But I will say on the cultural side, the entertainment industry is uniquely suited to sustain a shot like this, especially in the year 2020. Like the restaurant industry, they should be panicking. The physical retail industry, they should be panicking. The entertainment industry, I think, is going to be okay, despite a tanking economy and loads of panic. The only thing we're really worried about is physical media. The only thing we're really worried about is Broadway. Broadway ticket sales have apparently been declining over the past several weeks, and many theaters have dropped their prices substantially to deal with Corona. Okay, there's a panic. The live movie-going experience. Again, we talked about this. Box office has been okay thus far. Doesn't seem like there's been any dramatic drop-off. The number one movie in theaters this week was Pixar's Onward, which earned $40 million, debuted at number one, down significantly from most Pixar debuts and not what Disney had in mind for this one. It is tough to say if it's just a poor marketing campaign or just lack of enthusiasm or if this is a serious economic issue. Uh, Parents do not want to take their children out in public when the coronavirus is uh, is afoot. That is perhaps the case. And we also do have to worry, if you're Disney, about the upcoming release of Mulan, which comes out, what, in a week or two? Very, very soon. I think the premiere just happened last week. Stars an Asian American in its lead. Mulan is an Asian story. It is the first live-action Asian story I think Disney has ever released. So... The Chinese box office was a big part of this puzzle. The Japanese box office was a big part of this puzzle. If the Asian markets don't come through for Mulan, it's going to be a massive loss for Disney. Disney was counting on this movie making a lot of money overseas. It is an international, multicultural property. 
That is a problem, and Disney is going to have to contend with that, and the entire United States box office is going to have to contend with that. But if this situation gets significantly worse, if it turns out that like we're going to be quarantined for the next three months, four months, until we find a cure, if this country really does go the way of Italy, and schools get shut down, and businesses shut down, and people start working from home, the entertainment industry is going to be fine. We in the past two years have launched a significant number of streaming services. It seems like every studio in America has a streaming service at its disposal. Disney Plus just released. If you have to cancel the debut of Mulan, just put it on the streaming service. Netflix already has its entire business online. Very rarely do they release a film in theaters. Amazon can do the same thing with their releases. Hulu can do the same thing with their releases. HBO Max is coming with the entire Warner Brothers catalog. If for some reason the Warner Brothers releases have to get delayed, just put them up on HBO Max. Hell, Quibi is coming out very soon. An entirely digital platform. If no time to die, if MGM really wanted to, I'm sure they will not do this. I'm sure like physical theaters are a big part of the business model here. But if MGM wanted to put No Time to Die up on their Epix platform, I think they own Epix, the streaming service. They can just put it on there. Streaming media has revolutionized this business. So yeah, I'm afraid for Broadway. I'm afraid for movie theaters. But I'm not afraid for movies. I'm not afraid for television. Not afraid for music at large. The music industry can sustain a year without Coachella. The movie industry can sustain a year without South by Southwest. We'll be fine. We consume all of our art at home anyway. The consumer base has become accustomed to this behavior, to this mode of consumption. We have Netflix. We can miss the premiere of Mulan. I don't have to go see To Kill a Mockingbird starring Ed Harris. I'll just sit at home and watch eight episodes of Love is Blind. The entertainment industry is going to be fine. They've already made the transition. Sports, they got to worry. Physical ticket sales are a big part of the business model. It is going to be a hit to the bottom line if the NBA has to ban fans from their games. It's a big deal. Same goes for politics. Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden... Two old white guys out on the campaign trail. They got to stop shaking hands. I just saw a story today. They had to cancel all of their campaign events tonight in Michigan over coronavirus concerns. Who knows what this is going to do for voter turnout? Old people might not show up to the polls at the numbers that they once did. Young people may also not show up to the polls. So voter turnout is a huge thing. May hurt the political sphere, especially in big cities. And again, restaurants, retail. All industries that may suffer as a result of this. The entertainment industry, I don't feel like that's the same thing. I'm not Jim Cramer. Uh, I, I am not an economist or um, or a medical expert. I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Let me make that abundantly clear. But in the past year, streaming media had taken unprecedented leaps, had changed the industry in ways that we could not have imagined 10 years ago with the launch of Disney+, Plus, Apple TV+, and with the upcoming release of HBO Max and Peacock. So, consumers of pop culture are used to staying home. 
and they will continue to stay home and enjoy Hollywood content as long as this corona pandemic continues. Uh, I have no idea where the hell this is going to go, though, for the rest of the world. This is really scary. Is it is it weird, though, that I am still not totally concerned? Like, I still feel like I'm going to be fine. Like, if I get the coronavirus, I'm cool, right? The mortality rate for my age range is 0.2% last I checked. So I'm cool, man. It's the old people we got to worry about. It's grandma and grandpa. So if I get the sniffles, just eh, stay away from grandma and grandpa for a couple of weeks. It would do me a lot of good, actually. <laughs> no, really, what I heard, again, this is from my IT friend that is on the, uh, the, the Corona Task Force. Ironically, this friend was on a, at a prior Corona Task Force, but that involved just getting hammered in the afternoon with Mexican beer. Now it's the Coronavirus Task Force. Um, what he explained to me was that the mortality rate is not what we have to worry about because it is similar to the flu, although it is higher than the flu. When you get the flu, you infect on average one person. The coronavirus, if you get it, you infect an average of three other people. So it's not so much the severity of the illness, but the severity of its spread. Spreads a lot more quickly and exponentially. And so it's harder to contain. That's the problem with it. And also, there are no flu shots for this yet. Um, So that put it into context, I suppose. But I'm really not worried. Maybe I should be. I don't know. Um, this is cultured. It's a podcast where we talk about pop culture. (laughs) So enough of the science. And then when we come back, we're going to talk more about pop culture, something I know a thing or two about. Stick around. We'll be right back. Speaking of mortality rates, um, let's talk about death. (laughs) Cause two old guys died this week. And a funny thing happens when old guys die, as opposed to when young guys die. When old guys die, you look at the age and you celebrate because you think, wow, he got to live to 93. Wow, he got to live to 102. What a great life. It's a legitimate celebration. Or at least that's the way I think of it. When I, when I see so-and-so dies... At 103. I am amazed. Not that they died. But that they lived. And I think most people are like that. I mean that's the way it was with Kirk Douglas. I I was amazed that he had made it this long. And I was truly happy. That he got to live so many years on this planet. Given that he was such a Hollywood legend. Um, That's what happened this week. And I know some were sad. At the passing of Max von Sydow. And at the passing of James Lipton, uh, the former was 90 years old. The latter was 93 years old. And I certainly had a moment of solace for sure. And I know Adam Hall had um, a lot of grief over Max von Sydow. And by the way, we will be talking about uh, Sydow a lot more on Movie Hall of Fame this week. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about him now. But, uh, you know, they both reached a, a pretty old age and they both left their mark on not only the industry, but the world, and they are forever going to be in the pop culture pantheon, and, um, you know, 90. I hope I make it that long. Max von Sydow, Swedish actor, known mostly for Igmar Bergman films, 
Seventh Seal, uh, Virgin Spring, which we'll be talking about, by the way, on Movie Hall of Fame later this week. That's why I mention it. But of course, also The Exorcist, Flash Gordon, recently Star Wars The Force Awakens in a small role. Same for Game of Thrones, played the three-eyed raven on that show. Um, I adore his work in Three Days of the Condor. Uh, Oscar nominated twice, I believe, for Pele the Conqueror and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, the 9-11 movie from 2011. Uh, Minority Report, Shutter Island, Diving Bell and the Butterfly. I can just keep naming movies. This guy was an absolute legend. One of those guys where you saw his face, and even if you don't didn't know his name, it was like, oh yeah, that guy. He's great in everything. That's that's Max von Sydow. Um, I was talking with Adam over text about this, but uh, not a traditional leading man, although had movie star qualities. And I always embrace actors like that. I've always sort of found myself attracted to. Guys that are a little offbeat on screen. They don't look the way that Humphrey Bogart or Clark Gable looks. They don't have the the um, the sort of uh, the wholesomeness of a Tom Hanks or of a Denzel Washington or of a Jimmy Stewart. He doesn't quite have any of those qualities yet. When you see him on screen, you can't take your eyes off him. Not just because of his look, but because of his presence. He carried himself with such gravitas, but a quirky, offbeat gravitas. I was thinking about recent actors that I could compare Max von Sydow to. Strange voice, strange look, tall, lanky. And the one guy I thought of was Adam Driver, who in the past few years has established himself as a full-fledged movie star. And I think one of our great actors working but Adam Driver's weird looking, dude. I mean, everyone went crazy for the shirtless pick from episode eight, but Kylo Ren is not a traditionally attractive man. Marriage Story, I, I was just as captivated by Adam Driver, but I'm thinking to myself the whole time, this is a weird protagonist, especially for this type of role. It's kind of Dustin Hoffman-esque. He's attractive enough He's charismatic enough. He's movie star enough to be cast as the lead in a movie. But something's not quite right. And that one thing that's not quite right is what makes him that much more appealing. That's Von Sydow. Strange voice. I believe he was raised in France, born in Sweden, but raised in France. So has that thick French accent, but not recognizable enough to be like, oh, that's a French guy. Just a strange, distinct voice with a sullen look on his face constantly. Even in The Exorcist, his face slouched. It wasn't like an old man sag. He just had a long face. And it it articulated dread and despair better than I think any face in Hollywood. That's why he's so good in The Exorcist. Like, there is such a an inevitability to that movie. Such a sense of dread and, and grossness. And I think he filmed that movie when he was in his 40s. Yet, with makeup and his performance, he seemed like he was 85. There was so much life to the Father Marin character. 
And that is just one element that makes that movie so iconic and so classic. Such an interesting actor. Every time you saw him, he was a welcome presence. I mean, even in The Force Awakens, he's in one scene of that movie, the opening scene. You get a few minutes of dialogue. And that's it. And he's out. But you were glad that he was there. You, you were glad that you got to spend five minutes with Max von Sydow on screen. He was so welcoming, so empathetic, so likable, so easy to love, but also so versatile. He played the villain just as well, if not better, as the hero. And that's why he's going to be so missed. A versatile actor, a great character actor, a welcome presence, but also not a one-trick pony. Not a caricature. Just a great performer. Rest in peace, Max von Sydow, one of the greats. We're going to talk about him a little more later on. Too many thoughts media.com, tmt.media. And then I want to talk about James Lipton, uh, who just holds a, a very special place in my heart. Just, just a really important figure. Passed away at the age of 93, created the actor studio at Pace University in New York City. I think it was originally the new school, right? And I think it got acquired by Pace University. I don't remember now. Uh, But the actor studio, of course, one of the great acting colleges in the world. Certainly the most recognizable with the exception of Juilliard, I suppose. James Lipton hosted, more specifically, the talk show on Bravo inside the actor studio. Is Bravo still a thing? Okay, yeah, it is. Oh, of course, because they still have the Real Housewives. I'm not sure if they were still airing inside the actor's studio, though, when Lipton passed away. Um, but, oh, okay, so I'm reading this right now. He retired from inside the actor's studio in 2018. So, yeah, I guess he was still doing it. Man, I hadn't watched that show in years. It was on something called Ovation TV. Well, no wonder I haven't seen it in years. Oh, man, I need to go back. It, it uh... It's most famous shows, Murdoch Mysteries, Inside the Actors Studio, and, oh, The Librarians. I was wondering what network that was on. Anthony Bourdain. Oh, look at this. Yeah, Henry Winkler was just on. They wouldn't do episodes, like, every week. I think at one point they were doing it every week, but then it just became a once-in-a-couple-month thing. Um, But James Lipton... What is your favorite swear word? (laughs) Little background. When I was a kid, this was my father's favorite show. Actually, he had two favorite shows. And they were on every week without fail, sometimes multiple times a week because of reruns. It was The West Wing, which was every Monday night. NBC watched it without fail and inside the actor's studio. James Lipton. And I would sit there in our condo back when I was a kid, when I was maybe like six or seven years old, and my dad would watch Bravo TV before we had a cable box, just on the old uh, four by three aspect ratio television set, would watch James Lipton interview Kevin Spacey and Robin Williams and Alec Baldwin and, uh, and, and 
all of these great American actors. And uh, I, I didn't know what half the questions meant because James Lipton often used colorful vocabulary. If you've ever seen the Will Ferrell SNL sketch where James Lipton interviews Drew Barrymore, you will understand this. <laughs> James Lipton enjoyed a good gander at the thesaurus. <laughs> And I didn't know what half the words meant, and I knew that I was interested in movies, but I didn't think I was interested in movies in such an academic way. I do remember, though, at that young age being fascinated by these interviews, and sometimes it was just because Robin Williams was on, and he was doing improv comedy for two hours, and it was hilarious, or sometimes it was Alec Baldwin, who I recall being one of the great insightful Inside the Actor Studio interviews, just sitting there with James Lipton, him and his note cards, talking about the craft and years later you see these clips bradley cooper who was later interviewed on inside the actor studio was in the audience of an episode of that very show and i think it was de niro was either de niro or pacino that he asked a question to they they gave him the microphone in the audience and he asked a question and uh years later he was on the other side of the questioning Uh, It's a special show. It is a special, special talk show. And James Lipton was such an original. A real, a real one of a kind interviewer and journalist. Actually, he wasn't really a journalist. He was just uh, a guy that loved acting. And you could tell, man, the best interviewers are not the ones that speak in generalities, they are the ones that speak in specifics. I've always discovered this. You know, um, Barbara Walters has had a great career, but one of her big problems is that she speaks in generalities and she does not get to the heart of the issue. And I'm sure that's because she assumes that the audience is not interested. She's working for ABC, 2020, Nightline, whatever, Good Morning America, The View, and she figures Joe Schmo sitting on the couch listening to B.B. Netanyahu talk about foreign policy is not interested in the specifics so instead she asks questions like what kind of tree would you be if you were a tree and that's just not the type of discussion that i'm interested in and in general that is the same philosophy i apply to this podcast and to the other podcasts i do i think in general i don't appeal to the lowest common denominator i don't hold people's hands and i don't pull punches because My philosophy, in general, is the more specific the conversation, the more interesting the conversation. Going in the weeds is much more fun than mowing the lawn. So, you know, when Nick, Adam, and I have a discussion about a movie, I don't take the time to define certain terms. I don't hold the audience's hand. Uh, I don't talk down to people. I just speak as though I'm speaking to someone with the same interest in the subject that I have. And I figure that interest can be infectious. My love of music, my love of movies, my love of television is, uh, I think, a transferable thing. I think when you listen to me talk enthusiastically about a movie I've seen, you become just as engaged with the movie because culture is a communal experience. And... When you're watching James Lipton interview Robert De Niro or Al Pacino, you can feel his enthusiasm through the television set. And 
that is transferable. That energy is transferable. And you become just as engaged as James Lipton. Even if you don't know what he's saying 100% of the time. Even if you need a dictionary in order to define some of his terminology. Even if he's asking questions about the craft that most moviegoers have no experience with. You are still inspired and captivated and interested in his enthusiasm and drive. And he's certainly going to be missed. I loved that show. My father loved that show. Um, and, And it's just, as someone that, again, has spent a lot of time, a lot of his life, talking about art, writing about art. I mean, right now I'm trying to make a career in this field, breaking down film. James Lipton is the North Star. He is an inspiration to everyone that wants to talk about movies. Um, because he loved them. He loved them so much. And that's what made his conversations and interviews so great. And there you go. Two 90-year-olds no longer with us. Um, But man, what a life both of them led. This is Cultured. We'll be right back. All right. A few more odds and ends, and then we'll get out of here. I am always interested in what an actor or director does after they receive validation from their industry. And once they're given a blank check to do whatever they want. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit with Robert Downey Jr. after the Avengers wrapped up. Robert Downey Jr. had just made $100 million off of Avengers Endgame. He is one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid actor in Hollywood. And so Avengers wraps up, they kill off Tony Stark, and you think, what's he going to do now? Is he going to do like an Oscar bait historical drama Is he going to work with like an artsy indie director? Is he going to do live theater? What's next for Robert Downey Jr., the actor? And then he makes Doolittle. (laughs) And you realize for guys like Robert Downey Jr., the one for them, one for me mentality does not exist. Good for Bobby, I guess. Uh Good for him. So I, I'm interested in twofold. Number one, what an actor does after they find box office success. But what does a director do after they get their Oscar? Traditionally, if you win an Oscar as a director or a screenwriter, doors open up for you. I think about Damien Chazelle after he won for La La Land, got offered the first man um, Neil Armstrong biopic. I think about Tom Hooper, who we now have a complicated relationship with, but he won the Oscar for King's Speech and went on to make Les Miserables and Cats. Um, <laughs> but when you win an Oscar, it's not only just a recognition of excellence, but it's also something for studios to make note of. And doors will open. Doors will open. And so this year, Best Adapted Screenplay goes to Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit. Now, Taika Waititi had already made Thor Ragnarok. Already made his big studio picture. You know, and is, by the way, a much sought-after blockbuster director. Did stuff for The Mandalorian. Not only acted in The Mandalorian, but also directed, I think, just one episode, the finale. Um, And is working on a sequel to Thor. 
so this guy already has enough clout and he is a much sought after director for both the studio system and also the indie scene but he wins best adapted screenplay and I think traditionally that is seen as a license to go make something fucking weird you know you win best adapted screenplay or put it this way when you make Thor Ragnarok Use this clout to go make your indie movie. I guess Jojo Rabbit was his indie movie. I guess. You know what I mean? Like the Russo brothers, for example, are are working on um are working on a detective movie with Tom Holland. They just made the two biggest movies of all time, Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War, and now they're doing genre stuff. All I'm trying to say, Taika is you're an incredibly dynamic screenwriter. You are an incredible comedic wit. You are uh, not necessarily a master filmmaker, but a capable, big-budget filmmaker that does interesting stuff with the camera. I think most Taika Waititi movies, at the very least, are visually engaging. So this announcement just feels really weird to me. In the first move post-Oscar that Taika Waititi uh, uh, decides to attach his name to, Netflix is making a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory animated series. Nix that! Netflix is making two Charlie and the Chocolate Factory animated series, and Taika Waititi will be writing, producing, and directing both of them. The first is based on the classic novel, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, once made into a movie starring Gene Wilder, then remade as a movie starring Johnny Depp. Now it's going to be animated. Taika's going to be at the center of it. And then there's also going to be an Oompa Loompa spinoff in the vein of the Minions movie, I would imagine. Like, I think the Oompa Loompas are to Willy Wonka as the Minions are to Despicable Me. And uh, yeah, this just makes no sense to me. Look, some people like money. I mean, I like money. I'd love money. If you have any, holler at your boy. <laughs> Anybody got that sweet, sweet dollar to go around? Just hit me up. I'll I'll take your money. And so, yeah, some people like money. Like John Favreau, I'm sure, really likes money. Because he's made nothing but Disney remakes for the last 10 years. And I'm sure Taika Waititi's another one of those guys. He has just found his lane. No indie projects for me. I'm making Oompa Loompa shows. This shit just feels so beneath him. You know what I mean? Like imagine Patty Chayefsky wins the Oscar for, <laughs> for Network. Which I believe he did. Imagine if he's like, yeah, I'm going to now work on a Scooby-Doo animated series for NBC. Uh, <laughs> it's called Rut Row Scooby and uh, yeah I'm really trying to make it in the vein uh, of, uh, <laughs> of Sherlock Holmes <laughs> yeah it's gonna be like Scooby Doo but it's gonna be heavily influenced by Agatha Christie novels like what the hell man I got nothing against cartoons. I got nothing against Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I got nothing against Oompa Loompas. 
I'm sure children around the world will enjoy these shows when they hit Netflix in the coming year. It just feels like a waste of talent. Just feels like a waste of talent. Now, who am I to say, man? Maybe Taika Waititi is really passionate about Roald Dahl. And he's ready to to approach this material as a dark, gritty reboot of the Willy Wonka story. I, I just don't see it. Does, does this property need more reimagining? Do we need another take? And do we need this take from an Oscar-winning screenwriter? I don't think so. Um, The Last of Us. This is another project that is in the works. The Last of Us is a film coming soon based on a video game. Nick and Adam were very excited about this on Facebook this week, so they hit me up. Uh, Let me read what The Last of Us is. It's a Sony video game. 2013 action-adventure survival horror video game by Sony Computer Entertainment. Players control Joel, a smuggler tasked with escorting a teenage girl, Ellie, across the post-apocalyptic United States. The Last of Us is played from a third-person perspective. Is now being worked as a movie, workshopped as a movie. Um, Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones was in the video game, I guess. Who knows if he's going to be cast. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not a movie. It's a TV show. I'm, I apologize. Sorry. HBO TV show. Um, so anyway, I, I have nothing to say about this. <laughs> movie tv show or otherwise i just nick and adam were excited about it and i just told them that uh when when the tetris movie is in the works hit me up when hbo really kicks their pac-man production into high gear and the pilot is finally ordered hit me up and then i will give you all the takes in the world until then i have no idea what the last of us is and have no ideas for casting. Um, but congratulations to the nerds out there. Stop making video game movies. Okay? Just stop. Just stop. Fucking Sonic. Tomb Raider. <coughs> oh, shit. I just sneezed and it hurt my back. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm so old. This is what 24 is like, ladies and gentlemen. This is what 24 is like, kids. Uh, Enjoy your youth while you can. Enjoy your good health and your good back muscles while you can. No deadlifts for this guy anytime soon. And finally, I have a recommendation for you. It is a streaming recommendation. I have not had the opportunity to watch much streaming television over the last two to three months. It was the end of the year. It was Oscar season. I was catching up on Oscar movies. And with the Movie Hall of Fame, I'm watching a lot of old movies as well. So um, my schedule, my free time has just been dominated by movies. And I'm watching Better Call Saul. I'm watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um... Uh, I'm uh, what else am I watching I'm watching Survivor of course every week so Netflix Hulu Amazon my accounts have remained a bit idle recently that being said I finally got around to High Fidelity 
the Hulu show, which is a remake of the John Cusack movie from 2000, also based on the book by Nick Hornby. It is now a television show on Hulu starring Zoe Kravitz, who you may know as the daughter of Lenny Kravitz and one of the stars of Big Little Lies on HBO. Ten episodes, each only a half hour long, and it shares the same premise as the movie. A fan of music, pop culture, and top five lists runs a local record store in her hometown. Uh, They just changed the uh, gender of the lead from male to female. In the original movie, John Cusack is going through a breakup and running a record store. Now it's Zoe Kravitz going through a breakup and running a record store. She is the most recognizable name in the cast. I've only watched four episodes so far. One of the dudes from The Office plays one of the um, the boyfriends. Uh, I, I don't know the other two actors that co-run the record store with her. But it is just a really engaging, fun watch, especially for a streaming service. My theory has always been comedies make better streaming shows than dramas, although there are many streaming dramas on Netflix. I just find the runtime to be overwhelming and... Like I, I understand that ten episodes of High Fidelity is the same as five episodes of like a, a historical miniseries. I I understand that like the time commitment is no different, but something about the arithmetic breaking it up into half hour episodes makes it a lot easier to conquer. Because when you sit there at night and you watch one episode and it's only a half hour, you're like, all right, just give me another one. Why not? I understand the algorithm has tricked me into thinking I am spending less time in front of my television, but I still just think it's like candy. Comedies are like candy, and I want more of them. A drama, I can sit there, watch an episode of Mad Men, and then I, I'm good for a week. Same with Better Call Saul. But um, I, I, I'm very glad I, I stumbled onto this show. I will say this. Zoe Kravitz is very good. She is perhaps the best part of this show. She often breaks the fourth wall, talks to the camera, narrates her life, um, and, and she is great at that. She's just like a, a really charismatic, um, interesting actress. I will say I want the music to be a little nerdier. As I was just saying about James Lipton, I want to go in the weeds with things. I want to get bogged down in the details. I want to hear the most complex inside baseball conversations imaginable. And this show... Although it has interesting movie conversations, is not nerdy enough. And this is ironic. This is going to be a very ironic statement given who I am as a person, but I want this show to be more hipster. It's not hipster enough. And I feel like it's it's entertaining as a rom-com, but as a show about a woman running a record store, it rings a little inauthentic. Like, the first episode of this show, um, uh, Zoe Kravitz is on a first date with the guy from The Office, and they have a debate about what the best uh, Fleetwood Mac album is. And uh, I guess Zoe Kravitz says that it's not Rumors, but Tusk, which I think both came out in the 70s. But she goes on this whole monologue about how Tusk is better than Rumors, which, cool, but Fleetwood Mac... I mean, everybody likes rumors. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like someone like Zoe Kravitz, if you owned a record store and your the entirety of your life revolved around top five album lists, 
your hottest take wouldn't be Tusk is better than rumors. Right? Like you may comment on the Sex Pistols. You may comment on the Ramones. You may comment on the Velvet Underground. But you wouldn't comment on Fleetwood Mac. Like if you were talking about rap, you wouldn't have like most of your time would not be spent talking about Jay-Z. It would be talking about like Big Daddy Kane. You know what I'm saying? But this show, I, I get it, man. It's a television show, so you have to appeal to not the lowest common denominator, but a denominator that most people can at least understand. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I like the music in it. It's a little too mainstream, maybe. Uh... Yeah, I I mean, I don't know. It's good. It's a good show. I would recommend it. If you're into music, even casually, if you like rom-coms, it is an easy watch. Only takes you five hours to get through the whole show. Uh, Yeah, I just want, I just want a higher level of discourse, I guess. Just because I know people like Zoe Kravitz. I know people that own vinyl and that wear a lot of flannel and that hang out in downtown New York that are not interested in debating Fleetwood Mac. You know what I mean? And, and one of the characters actually in this show starts her morning playlist with Come On Eileen. <laughs> and it's like, bullshit. You would not work in a record shop. You would not be here if Come On Eileen is how you started your day. You know what I'm saying? Not that I like hipsters. I love Fleetwood Mac. And by the way, I like Come On Eileen. I think that's a fine song. And I like Prince. I love Prince. And Zoe Kravitz loves Prince and talks about Prince a lot. Talks about David Bowie. I like all these artists. But even, like, <laughs> like th- this is the platonic ideal of what a record store owner should be and not the reality of what a record store owner is. That's the problem with this show. And that's why I find Zoe Kravitz both very likable and also inauthentic because I should not like a character like this. <laughs> Am I making sense? I don't fucking know. Hulu, High Fidelity, watch it. It's a good show. That's it. That's cultured. I'm going to go lay down and ice my back uh, because I'm in a lot of pain and I've been sitting up for far too long. Um. <laughs> at tmt underscore media on twitter tmt.media or too many thoughts media.com is the url uh listen to all of our other podcasts two cents radio was an all-timer this week go listen rob and i got in a feud with some michael jackson supporters on twitter you can hear all about the drama two cents radio why is this a thing we're talking documentaries exit through the gift shop is the next installment in documentary month Movie Hall of Fame, year 1960, some talk about Max von Sydow, all coming later this week. I love you. Yeah, I love you. So, so, so very much. And I do want you to come back next week. Because you know what happens then. Well, I start seething in back pain and have to take a Vicodin. And have to get a heating pad and prop my legs up and nurse my wounds. But after all that, you and I, we're going to get cultured!